so the, the songs have dovetail lovely with uh, what we're going to be thinking about later. Um, it's great to see you as well and uh, see visitors as well. It's great to have Yvette as well. Good to have you with us. Great answer to prayer that you're here. Praise the Lord for that. So, and, and please, 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 if you can come tonight, it's our priority prayer evening. We'll be praying for missions. We'll be praying for Sam and Hannah and uh, family in Nepal and uh, Praying for, praying for Ern Ha there in the ministry among Muslims and uh, there at Hope House and a lot of our other sort of uh, uh, missionaries that we're associated with, we support, Sahara Desert Mission, Martina and, Martina and Peter and others. Please come at six o'clock tonight as part of that evening of worship, praise and also prayer. Well, we started going through this book of Joshua. Uh, we looked, we're looking at chapter two this morning, last week. Uh, Simon brought a really challenging word if, uh, uh, regarding um, Joshua chapter 1 and entering the land. If you, did, if you missed that, do listen to it if you get a chance, please, on, the, uh, on our website. Um, entering the land of Canaan is a parallel to the New Testament experience of entering into the blessings of Jesus that are in Christ. God's blessed us with every spiritual blessing. And I'm going to just to start off in Ephesians, just reading Ephesians 1, verse 3. If you've got your Bibles, good to turn to these together. They will be on the screen, but always good to look in our Bibles as well. Ephesians 1, verse 3 says, Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, who has blessed us with every spiritual blessing, in the heavenly places, in Christ. So all of the riches that God's provided for you are found in Christ. And that means that you and I, we've got everything we need to be the person God wants us to be. The, everything that we need to be matured, brought to completion in Christ. And the Bible speaks of those riches in terms of our inheritance. These are the things that we inherit because we belong to Jesus. We're in his family, we've been adopted into his family, so we share in the, inherit, the family inheritance. Don't need to turn to Colossians 1 verse 2, but Paul says this, Giving thanks to the Father, who has qualified us to be partakers of the inheritance of the saints in the light. So our, our inheritance as Christians concerns everything that we have, our salvation, our forgiveness, Christ's righteousness, the joy he brings, the, 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 the peace he brings, the love he fills our hearts with, the self-control, victory over our spiritual enemies and over the flesh and, 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 and over Satan. The whole range of things that are blessings brought to us because of Jesus Christ, our Saviour. Sidlow Baxter, well-known preacher of, last, of the 1900s, said this. Canaan, and he said, Canaan, the Old Testament, Canaan, Canaan is that breadth and length and height of the spiritual life in which we really possess our possessions in Christ. The tragedy is that the majority of Christians live far below their revealed privileges and redemptive rights in Christ. God has opened to us in Christ 
a present experience comparable to that land of corn and wine, a land flowing with milk and honey. So the spiritual possessions are in Christ. These are blessings open to all. And, and there are th- I think there are three categories of possessions. I want to split them into three. There's our present possessions. There's our potential possessions. And there are our future possessions. So there's our present possessions. These are the spiritual riches which are yours and mine if you're in Christ. And it doesn't depend on what state our Christian life is in. In other words, if you are in Christ, you are justified. Your standing in Christ is secure and settled. God declares you holy and clean and right and without blame, without condemnation because of Jesus. That's a standing in Christ. That's how we stand. There's our righteousness before God because of Jesus. So it doesn't matter whether it's an immature or, or, or even a Christian who's been a Christian for just a day or you've been a Christian for 90 years or however long. That's your, those are your present possessions. And then there are our future possessions which we will only receive when we get to heaven. So there's a perfect body awaiting every believer. No matter how much cosmetic surgery you have now, no matter how much Botox you you, you get injected, you will not have a, a perfect body this side of the grave. You'll have to wait. So there's a future possession. There's freedom from sin. There's freedom from the pull of our sinful nature. That won't happen until we're in heaven. So those are our future possessions. But then there are, in between if you like, our potential possessions. These are the riches that are in Christ which are ours and yet they're not ours. We have them, God's given them to us but we won't experience them unless, unless by faith and obedience we possess them. We lay hold of them. And, and, and by that faith and trust in the promises of God, they become ours in our experience. Just uh, turn back to Joshua now. Joshua chapter 1. We'll go back to the first chapter of Joshua. Remember... So much of Joshua is parallels these, these thoughts. Um, Joshua, the book of Joshua in the Old Testament is equivalent to the book of Ephesians, the letter of Ephesians in the New in so many areas. So let's turn to Joshua, chapter 1, verse 3. God said to Joshua, Every place that the sole of your foot will tread upon... I have given you, as I said to Moses. So, God said, I've given you the land, it's yours. But wait a minute, you've got to possess it. Every area, every step, every part that you tread upon and possess, that becomes yours. So the land of Canaan was their inheritance, 
God had already given it to them. It was theirs, but it wasn't theirs. Not in their experience. They had to step out. Every place that the sole of your foot will tread upon, I have given you. In other words, you've got it already, but you need to possess it. And that's true for our inheritance in Christ. There are so many blessings for every one of us that God has provided. But to receive them, we've got to stand on the promises of God. And we've got to obey him. And as we grow and become strong in Christ, we'll, go, we'll learn how to do that more and more. So that's just the introduction. And that brings us to chapter 2. And I want to read chapter 2 now. Because the people of Israel are ready to cross the Jordan. So chapter 2 verse 1. Now Joshua the son of Nun sent out two men from Shittim to spy secretly saying, Go view the land, especially Jericho. So they went and came to the house of a prostitute named Rahab and lodged there. And it was told the king of Jericho, saying, Behold, men have come here tonight from the children of Israel to search out the country. So the king of Jericho sent to Rahab, saying, Bring out the men who have come to you, who have entered your house, for they have come to search out all the country. Then the woman took the two men and hid them. And she said, Yes, the men came to me, but I did not know where they were from. And it happened as the gate was being shut, when it was dark, that the men went out. Where the men went, I do not know. Pursue them quickly, for you may overtake them. But she had brought them up in the roof, to the roof and hidden them with the stalks of flax, which she had laid in order on the roof. Then the men pursued them by the road to the Jordan to the fords, and as soon as those who pursued them had gone out, they shut the gate. So before they lay down, she came up to them on the roof and said to the men, I know that the Lord has given you the land, that the terror of you has fallen on us, and that all the inhabitants of the land are faint-hearted because of you. For we have heard how the Lord dried up the water of the Red Sea for you when you came out of Egypt, and what you did to the two kings of the Amorites who were on the other side of the Jordan, Sihon and Og, whom you utterly destroyed. And as soon as we heard these things, our hearts melted. Neither did there remain any more courage in anyone because of you. For the Lord your God, he is God in heaven above and on earth beneath. Now therefore I beg you, swear to me by the Lord, since I have shown you kindness, that you also will show kindness to my father's house and give me a true token. And spare my father and my mother, my brothers, my sisters, and all that they have, and deliver our lives from death. So the men answered her, Our lives for your lives, if none of you tell this business of ours. And it shall be when the Lord has given us the land, that we will deal kindly and truly with you. And then she let them down by a rope through the window, for her house was on the city wall. She dwelt on the wall. And she said to them, 
get to the mountain, lest the pursuers meet you. Hide there three days until the pursuers have returned. Afterwards, you may go your way. Then the men said to her, we will be blameless of this oath of yours, which you have made us swear, unless when we come into the land, you bind this line of scarlet cord in the window through which you let us down, unless you bring your father, your mother, your brothers, and all your father's household to your own home. So it shall be that whoever goes outside the doors of your house into the street, his blood shall be on his own head, and we will be guiltless. And whoever is with you in the house, his blood shall be on our head, if a hand is laid on him. And if you tell this business of ours, then we will be free from your oath, which you made us swear. And then she said, according to your words, so be it. And she sent them away, and they departed. And she bound the scarlet cord in the window. Then they departed and went to the mountain and stayed there three days until the pursuers returned. The pursuers sought them all along the way, but did not find them. So the two men returned, descended from the mountain, and crossed over. And they came to Joshua the son of Nun and told him all that had befallen them. And they said to Joshua, Truly, the Lord has delivered all the land into our hands. For indeed, all the inhabitants of the country are faint-hearted because of us. Let's pray. Our Father God, we pray that you just help us to look into your word with an openness of heart and mind to all that you have to say. And we ask for your help, that your Holy Spirit would bring the spiritual truths of this passage to our hearts. And Lord, we ask that you'd help us as well to be quick to obey. In Jesus' name, amen. So Joshua sent two spies to spy out the land. Interestingly, there were two spies. You remember 40 years before? How many spies were there, do you know? 12 spies. And I think Joshua had learned his lesson. Um, this wasn't going to be a democratic process this time. He sent two men of faith out to spy the land, and particularly to spy out Jericho. Jericho was the first Canaanite Stronghold, it was about seven miles away from the River Jordan. And uh, he sent these two men to spy out the land. You know, two men of faith are far better than a whole army of doubters. And so here were the two men of faith. And, and they came to the city of Jericho. And the city of Jericho had massive walls, high and wide. They were wide enough to have houses built on them. And, and in one of the houses, there was this woman called Rahab. In the two references in the New Testament, in Hebrews 11 and James 2, where Rahab is mentioned, they both mention that she was Rahab the prostitute. So there's no doubt about it, just as it's mentioned here in Joshua 2 verse 1, what she did, what sort of a woman she was. The house she lived in, it seems, was a lodging house, an inn in which strangers would stay. And so the two men lodged there, no doubt, because it was the best place. 
there would have been strangers coming in and out. And uh, it was on the city wall. So that it would give a quick escape if, if they needed to get down from that, from that city. And uh, so they, they were hoping, I'm sure, that they would be inconspicuous. They wouldn't be noticed. But in spite of all of their thoughts and planning, suspicions were raised. Somebody obviously was suspicious of these two strangers. All of the city were on alert, no doubt, because they'd heard about the, armies, the army of Israel. They'd heard about this army that was coming towards them and how the, about the victories that they'd won. So uh, the, the people were on high alert. And very quickly word spread to the king of Jericho and he sent men to arrest these two men. Rahab made a snap decision. And she decided to hide the two men in the loft, in her loft, under stalks of straw, bales of straw. And she told those who had come that the two men had been there, but she didn't know who they were, and that they'd already left her house and left the city. And she misdirected the uh, uh, search party of the Jerichoites, if that's what they were, and, and they, they left and they, they went after these two men. Was she lying? Yes. Is it right to lie? Well, that's a tough, isn't it? Especially when somebody's life is at stake. Uh, I was thinking about that in the war, you know, where people hid people and they lied about that. Is that right? I, I, I'm not going to answer that uh, this morning. Um, you can think about that one. Uh, but one thing we do know is that she was very courageous because she was putting her life at risk. These were, these were, these were spies and uh, if she'd been found out, I would have thought she would have been executed. So we can commend her for her courage. And, and because of her kindness and because of the risk she was taking and because of her faith, she said to these two spies when the search party had left, that when their army came to Jericho and when the army overthrew, the army of Israel, overthrew the people of Jericho, she asked that they would spare her life and the life of her family. And the two men promised to do that. Look at verse uh, um, 17, chapter 2, verse 17. This is what they went on to say. Just read it again, a few verses then the men said to her, we will be blameless of this oath of yours which you have made us swear, unless when we come into the land you bind this line of scarlet cord in the window through which you let us down. And unless you bring your father, your mother, your brothers and all your father's household to your own home, so shall it be, it shall be that whoever goes outside the doors of your house into the street, his blood shall be on his own head and we will be guiltless. And whoever is with you in the house, his blood shall be on our head, if a hand is laid on him. In other words, they agreed to spare Rahab and her family, but how would they know? How would they know which were her family? So they said, right, that all your family, they have got to be in your house. 
And you've got, to look, you've got to hang this thread down, this scarlet thread, and then we will know. If anyone steps out of that house, we're not, we're not going to be held guilty for them being killed. They've got to be in the house. It's interesting, a scarlet thread, isn't it? I mean, scarlet, a scar, the, the colour scarlet would have stood out. So that was probably one of the reasons it would be clearly seen. But isn't that lo- wonderful symbolism of the blood, isn't it, that, that shelters? Um, you know, the blood that daubed the doorposts and lintel in the Old Testament, in Exodus, where the people, um, the firstborn were saved because they were sheltered by the blood. And of course, Christ's blood. It's, it's a lovely, precise detail. And all who were in that house, sheltered, saved, protected by the scarlet thread, were saved, would be delivered. And... Uh, that's what happened. And uh, she agreed to this. So who, who was Rahab? Well, she was a Canaanite. She was a Gentile. She was a Canaanite. She was actually of the family of the Amorites. And the Amorite people were those that God had cursed because of the way that they had dealt with the people of Israel. And God had pronounced judgment on them. And she was a prostitute. And yet God was working in her life. Look what she said in chapter 2 verse 8. Look at this statement of faith. So before they lay down she came up to them on the roof. And said to the men I know that the Lord has given you the land. Now this was the Lord. She didn't know anything about the Lord. She was part of these pagan practices of Jericho. But I know that the Lord has given you the land, that the terror of you has fallen on us, and that all the inhabitants of the land are faint-hearted because of you. For we have heard how the Lord dried up the water of the Red Sea for you when you came out of Egypt. And what you did to the two kings of the Amorites, who were on the other side of the Jordan, Sihon and Og, whom you utterly destroyed. And as soon as we heard these things, our hearts melted, neither did there remain any more courage in anyone because of you. For the Lord your God, he is God in heaven above and on earth beneath. What a statement of faith that is. Amazing statement of faith. Here's this woman caught up in all of the practices of of, of what was really a heathen city without God. And she was saying, look, I know that we are are doomed. I know that your God has given you this city. And I know that he is God in heaven and on earth. He's the God over all. And he's my only hope. And it was her faith that saved her. Saved her physically, but saved her spiritually as well. She had no teaching, you know. All she'd heard was rumours. She had no direct knowledge of God. And as I said, she was immersed in all sorts of pagan practices and immoral behaviour and idolatry. And yet in her her spiritual darkness there comes a shaft of light, beautiful shaft of light about the true God. That there is one God in heaven and he is God over all. And somehow she knew that he was a merciful God. 
A God of judgment because they were under judgment, but a merciful God. And as a result of that, that shaft of light, she, she reached out in faith and she cried out for mercy. And as a result of that, she and her family were saved. She was welcomed into the Jewish faith as a Gentile. She became a proselyte and became a, Jew, a Gentile, but part of the Jewish faith. If you turn to Matthew chapter 1, we find Rahab mentioned. Matthew chapter 1. I'm sure some of you will know where we're going in this. This is the ancestral line of Jesus. On the, on the human side. Matthew 1 verse 5. We're, we're picking up part way through this long list of names. Sal, is it Salmon or Salmon? I don't know. Sal, Salmon. Salmon? All right. Salmon begot Boaz by Rahab. Boaz begot Obed by Ruth. And Obed begot Jesse. And Jesse begot David the king. And then it traces the line all the way to the Messiah. So Rahab, this uh, Gentile prostitute saved by grace, she married a Jewish man called Salmon. And they had a child and called him Boaz. And Boaz, in adult life, married a Moabite woman called Ruth. They had a child called Obed. And Obed, eventually married, had a son called Jesse. And Jesse, when married, had a child, and they called him David. And David became the king of Israel. So if my, I don't know if maths is right, Rahab was the great-great-grandmother of King David. Work it out. If I've got it wrong, let me know. The great-great-grandmother of King David and she became part of the messianic line if you like the, 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 the lineage of Jesus the Messiah the Son of God I mean how wonderful that she became a member of the family of Jesus you know it would be it's normal isn't it if you've got unsavory characters in your family tree you, you don't tend to talk about them you might if, if you're trying to impress somebody especially, or, or to show what a special person you are, I think you might try to hide the disreputable sort of people. Like the man whose father had been hanged as a murderer, and it came to him filling in the details of his parents' situation on an insurance form, so he wrote that his father's death was suddenly precipitated while on a public platform. So here in the lineage of, of Jesus, there's not just one, actually there's a number of people with very unsavoury pasts. It's as though God wants to emphasise that. To show what a wonderful God he is. What a merciful, loving, gracious, redeeming God he is. He can take any person. Any person. And, and he can change that life. Doesn't matter what their background. And he can bring them into the family of Christ. And he is the saviour, the saviour of all who put their trust in him. Not only do we find Rahab there, we also find her in Hebrews chapter 11. So Hebrews 11 verse 31. 
another well-known passage. This is the hall of faith, or if you like, the hall of fame of the heroes of faith. Wonderful list of men and women of faith. Hebrews 11 verse 31. We'll read verse 30. By faith the walls of Jericho fell down after they were encircled for seven days. By faith the prostitute Rahab did not perish with those who did not believe when she had received the spies with peace. So here she is. She's mentioned in this great, wonderful list of the heroes of faith, including Abraham and Isaac, Jacob, and all of those great men and women. And she's one of only two women in that list, where the other was Sarah, the, the wife of Abraham. And you know, if God can use Sarah, Rahab's faith to fulfill his wonderful plans, he can use anybody's faith. He can, you know, he, he can use you and he can use me. God can use anybody. He can still use you, whatever you've done. However, if you like, however we've messed up. You know, God is a wonderful, redeeming God. And he works and changes things. It was because of Rahab's faith that God's people began to possess their inheritance. It was because of her faith that God did wonderful miracles. So this is a wonderful story of hope for you and for me. You know, if we're fouled up in our lives in any way, in some way or other, we can have forgiveness for that. There is forgiveness. There is hope. And there is a recommissioning always in the kingdom of God. And so God gave to this woman this remarkable faith, this Gentile woman, saving Faith By faith, the harlot Rahab did not perish with those who did not believe. Now, who were those who didn't believe? Those in Jericho. What didn't they believe? They didn't believe the same thing. They didn't believe or put their faith in the, in the information, the same information that Rahab had. They had, they, they had all the same opportunities as Rahab. The word believe is, is actually, it's a very clear word in, in, in the Greek. It's apitheo, which means to disbelieve. It doesn't mean that they didn't believe. They disbelieved it. They willfully would not believe. They were willfully disobedient. The whole people in Jericho. And it was as though they resisted the knowledge. They, they, would not, they knew that God was the God of Israel. They knew that God was going to bless them and they probably knew in their hearts that actually they were doomed. But they would not believe. They wouldn't accept it. Rahab had the same information and yet she had faith. And she was given that. So the whole city of disbelievers were under the judgment of God. So was Rahab. They were to perish under the judgment of God. But Rahab cried out for mercy. It's the same, isn't it, today? We've been singing songs of salvation, but also, actually, songs of salvation are also a message, a reminder, that those without Christ won't be saved. Jesus said that very clearly. 
People talk about the love and the niceness of Jesus. He was very, very blunt, wasn't he? This is what he said in John 3. We talk about John 3.16, God's all of the world. Later on in verse 36, Jesus said, He who believes in the Son has everlasting life, and he who does not believe the Son shall not see life. But the wrath of God abides on him. That's so clear. And, And friends, we are living in a world and among people who are under the judgment of God. We have to understand that. And if you are a Christian, you were there, and I was there. We were under God's wrath because of our sin. But somehow, we cried out for mercy. And God gave us that gift of faith. But we're in, we, we are mixing with people, and our neighbours and friends and my, members of my family are under the judgment of God. So here in this city, under the judgment of God, expecting, anticipating destruction in one person's heart something strange began to happen something began to stir in her heart I don't think she could explain it she didn't have enough understanding and somehow she found herself found herself being drawn to this God that she'd heard about And she'd only heard about it by rumour, the second hand, third hand, fourth hand. It was very, very imperfect knowledge. And somehow this conviction developed that she was doomed unless she put her faith in this God. This God who she believed was a God of mercy. And she was the only one in that city to have that faith. She wasn't the only one saved Her family was saved, but they were saved because of her faith. It was because the Holy Spirit was working. Some people think the Holy Spirit wasn't active in the Old Testament. Couldn't be further from the truth. The Holy Spirit was working, drawing her, speaking to her, opening her mind, opening her heart, drawing her to Christ, drawing her to salvation. And because of that miracle, She was saved. How will people know? How will will those that we know, those that you know, who you think will never come to Jesus, how will they ever come to Christ? How? How will that happen? What about the person who lives next door to you, your next door neighbour, who just doesn't have any interest maybe in church or, or in Christian things? How is that person ever going to come to Christ? What about the member of your family who likewise has no interest in the things of God? How are they ever, ever going to come to Christ? We can't see it, humanly speaking. What about that person who you talk to or you know who is intellectually convinced that Christianity is a crutch? It's just a crutch to lean on. And that the Bible is just... A lot of make-believe stories. How is that person ever, ever, ever going to change their mind? What about that Muslim, maybe, neighbour who is totally convinced of the truth of Allah and of the Quran? Just totally immersed in that. And it's not even in their thoughts that actually Christianity might be true. How is that person ever, ever going to become a Christian or that retired person you know who seems to be set in their ways and 
You know, they're, very, they're, they're all right, thank you very much. No, no, no inter- interest at all in spiritual things. Or that person who's blight, their lives have been blighted by drug addiction or alcohol addiction. And, and, and they're just befuddled. And the, you know, how, how are they ever going to come to Christ? I'll tell you the answer. God the Holy Spirit will work in their lives. God the Holy Spirit will give them a shaft of light. He'll open their minds. He'll bring things together. He'll bring people into their lives. He'll change circumstances because he wants to save them. He wants them to come to a saving knowledge of Christ. But God needs you and me to do that. God uses us. He doesn't, he works, but he needs us. He needs me and you and he he needs us to be available. God used, I nearly said God needed two men. Well, you know what I mean, needed in inverted commas. He chose to need. God used two men who were willing to be led by him, willing to go into enemy territory, willing to risk their lives, willing to go against their natural inclinations to stay in the house of a prostitute. And the consequences of that was that one woman and her family were saved. You see, I don't think those men were sent to get information that God needed how to overcome Jericho. And God thought, oh, thank you for that. That's really helpful. I can use that information. God didn't use any of their information. We'll find that in Joshua chapter 6. On a human level, they went to spy out the land. On a divine level, they went to save a person. I don't actually think this was a spying mission as, a mission, as so much a mission of God's grace. When I was young, I remember, I remember a, um, a well-known Methodist minister, Dr. Sankster. Some of you older folks might remember him, Dr. William Sankster, and uh, very famous in his day, wonderful preacher. And I've got some sermons up, uh, in, my, in books in my study. And in one of those, he tells of the time, a simple story, of he was on his way on a Sunday, on his way to preach at a service. He was walking, it was raining, he sheltered in a, a doorway, and there was another man there, sheltering at the same time. And they got into conversation. And Dr. Sankster explained that he was on his way to preach at the service. And he just sort of said, he invited the man to go along. And this man didn't have anything else to do. So he went. And he heard the gospel. And he was saved. Soundly converted. Just a simple thing but with profound consequences for that man. And you think, well, that's just a chance meeting. I mean, how many doorways have I stood in when somebody else has been there, but I haven't opened my mouth? But he went into that doorway. It just happened there was a man there. And God must have been working in that man's life. And it's just a simple word, simple test. In fact, it wasn't even a testament. I'm going to church. Would you like to come? And as a result of that, that man's eternal destiny was changed. 
God led those two spies providentially to the one house in that whole city of one woman in whom God was working. He could, they could have gone to any place, but it just so happened it was that one house. Isn't it great to be led by God? And isn't it great to be trusting in a God that he can use my simple words and my just actions and just little things in my life to be used by God in other people's lives. But we've got to be available and I have to. Why, let me finish by asking this question, why did this incident come right at the outset of the campaign? And why did the Holy Spirit decide to devote so much to one person? In the book of Joshua. Well surely it was to show to the children of Israel and to us what sort of a God God is. It was to remind them that yes they were going to be instruments of judgment and they were. No doubt about that. But they were to shine as a light in that land. They weren't going into the land just to enjoy the land. They were to be God's messengers. They were to bring the light of God and preserve that light for the Gentiles around. And friends, that's your task and my task, if we know Jesus. God hasn't saved me so that I can just enjoy my salvation. And so that I can just go to heaven. I mean, God could whisk me off off to heaven if that was the case. He could do that straight away. We are here because of a reason. We are here to shine the light, to share our light, to share our testimony, to pray for people, to see people saved, to to see people being blessed with the same salvation. I came across this from Charles Spurgeon. I found them very sobering words. He said this, Someone asks, will the heathen, heathen who have never heard the gospel be saved? It is more a question with me whether we who have the gospel and fail to give it to those who have not can be saved. We're saved to bless others, to bring the blessing of God to others and to believe that God actually is working people's lives even if we don't really see it by faith. Let me finish with a uh, the true story, a guy called Sean Little, he worked for an international justice mission in Thailand. And he found out about a girl called Elizabeth, a young girl who was only 13 years of old, who'd been abducted and forced into prostitution, and they couldn't, and they couldn't find her. Well, various caseworkers made dangerous undercover investigations to find her. And to gather, when they did, they they had to gather sufficient evidence before presenting it to the police. And eventually the police, and along with Sean and other fellow workers, they raided the brothel where they'd found Elizabeth. And what they found was they found her locked in a dormitory that was, it was more like a damp, dark dungeon. And when Elizabeth realised they'd come to rescue her and not to abuse her, she said, I knew you'd come. I knew you'd come. 
And Sean says he was surprised to see there was writing on the wall behind her, behind her bed. And as he shone his torch on it, he was even more amazed to, re to read the words from Psalm 27. The Lord is my light and my salvation. Whom shall I fear? And it turned out that this young girl actually was a, a believer. She was a Christian. And against all the odds, she was still trusting her saviour in that living hell. And her family had been praying for her every day for a year that she'd be freed. But who, who else is out there crying out to God for us to come? Maybe a God they don't actually know. It could be in your neighbourhood, it could be in your home, it could be in your school or in your work. Paul wrote this, Christ's love compels us. Well, that's our motivation. Time has gone way past, I'm sorry. We need to, but we will sing. Let's sing. Because I want us to respond with a song. And uh, I invite the band up. Um, and it's a song, Here I Am. Holy available, let's make this. Please make this a song of response to that message, to whatever God said to us and spoken to us about. It says, Here I Am wholly available as for me I will serve the Lord the fields are white unto harvest but all oh, the labourers are so few so Lord I give myself to help the reaping to gather precious souls unto you as salt are we ready to savour in darkness are we ready to be light God's seeking out a very special people that's you and me if we're available to manifest his truth and his might let's stand to sing.
Help us, we pray, to, to live that out and uh, hear the words of our heart, the prayers of our heart to be used by you, to be available. Lord, thank you that we're not doing this in our own strength, but in Christ's strength, in the power of the Holy Spirit, Lord, we, we, you can use us and want to use us. So we pray that we might see, Lord, as a result of our availability and trust and faith, Lord, opportunities to share Christ to talk about our faith and to bring others, Lord, even to church and whatever you want us to do. So, Lord, part us with your blessing. Help us to serve you and live for you in this week, we pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen.